0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now?
1: The Rockpile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be
2: aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are gonna turn around and devour my brain.
0: The Bills make me wanna. Yeah!
3: you already know I'm a Buffalo I want to jump through a table. I'm going to tell the producers (laughs) I need to go up there this season and jump through a table. I love the Buffalo Bills. Last year, I said the Buffalo Bills would win the AFC East, but I was a year too early. Tom Brady was still there. He is no longer in that division. And guys, I love what they did in the draft. I love the running back they drafted in Zach Moss out of Utah. Mm -hmm. He is going to be that banger. He's going to be that one-two punch to Devin Singletary that's going to start to break the will of of their opposing team. So I love the Buffalo Bills. Welcome everybody to another
2: edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Michael Robinson of NFL Network talking about the Buffalo Bills in 2020. Winning the division.
1: Fourth time in five years, he said.
2: <laughs> ah. Oh, folks we have in front of us tonight probably few, Chris draft season's over this I was is looking- where you this is where you get into the nuts this is where it becomes difficult to podcast for those of you out there who are just listeners it gets content creation this time of year this is where you kind of figure out who's who, who's creative or at least who can structure a show because it gets really difficult Chris I think you can attest to this yeah. digging up content to have intelligent conversations about
1: I was all forward looking to looking forward to not seeing your face for 14 days. Cuz <laughs> normally right now we should be bi-weekly, but we're not.
2: Yeah, right now a lot of things should be happening, Chris, a lot of things. Now, usually we do a, you know, weekly COVID uh, update, quarantine update. For this week, Chris, I have more of a question for you. Because I had an epiphany in the Wegmans bathroom this weekend. And I know that that's probably not a way to start a statement. But I had an epiphany as I'm standing at the urinal for the second time during my trip to Wegmans and I realized that everyone who's coming and going in the bathroom, nobody's washing their hands. Not a single person stopped at the sink to wash
1: their hands. So now you got a part-time job working security in the bathroom at Wegmans? (laughs) Forcing people to wash their hands? Please. Oh my God, I've shamed people.
2: I have verbally shamed people into washing their hands in public before. But no, because what I realized is all these people... I noticed that as I'm walking out behind, you know, I'm washing my hands, they're peeing, they walk right past me, we both walk out, they just hit the hand sanitizer station and they go on about their business. Because now with this, you know, with the disease, every, Chris, everywhere you go, every store has a hand sanitizer station every 30 feet. So with that said, what are the long-term ramifications of this? Chris, I think we might be... Chris, think about it. In just a matter of weeks, people have just said to themselves, "Meh, not washing my hands in the bathroom. This goes on for too much longer. This could become the new normal. Are you okay with that?
1: I'm fine with that. I mean, I have to be around you, and that is a disease in itself.
2: <sighs> I'll tell you, it's, it, it's scary how, just realizing that things are changing, especially bathroom habits. With that said, (laughs) Chris, I want to get into tonight's show, and I want to introduce tonight's guest. Someone who hasn't appeared on our show since, when do you think?
1: I don't know. Last season? Last year? I believe it was
2: 2018. 2018. Mr. Ryan Laisel from the Rock Sports Network. How are you doing, sir?
4: I'm doing great, man. Happy to be here, and happy to talk about such a grim topic tonight.
2: (laughs) What? Bathroom habits? I know you and I... Yeah, I mean,
4: you and I have gone rounds about bathroom habits, so it's (laughs) nothing out of the ordinary for us.
2: Folks, I'm just going to launch this one out there. We're not going to dwell on it because Ryan and I have literally spent hours fighting each other over this topic. Eating in the bathroom. Chris, you're an impartial third party. You dislike us both equally. Eating on the toilet. Yay or nay? I wouldn't do it. Would you frown upon those who did?
1: Uh, I don't think I would frown upon. Like, if you told me that you had a sandwich on the toilet, I'd be like, that seems like something you would do. <laughs> Wrong!
3: Wrong!
2: I'll burn this place down if I find out you're in there eating sandwiches on the...
1: Yeah, like, if if it was like my... my you told me like it was my dad. No, my dad wouldn't do that. <laughs> you, for sure, I would peg you as a sandwich eater on the toilet.
2: <laughs> Meanwhile... Ryan, who I can't argue with him because he's the father of two, says, hey, sometimes a granola bar in the morning with a cup of coffee in there. Well, what did you how did you say it, Ryan? It's the only peace you get in the morning. Sometimes
4: it's the only it's the only moment of peace that I get all day.
2: <laughs> Folks, I don't know how you guys feel about this topic. Tweet at us at RockPileReport. Report. I want to hear it from you people. How do you am I am I crazy here or is this an abomination? But with that <laughs> said, for those of you who don't aren't familiar with Ryan Laisel He is the host of the Huddle TV show over at the Rock Sports Network and WBGTV over in the Rochester area. He does play-by-play for the SUNY Brockport Eagles football team with Mario Granada at Hashtag Sports. Him and Icy for the Rock Sports Network are every year at training camp with just, Chris, solid coverage. I think I like the fact that you guys try as often as possible to zig when a lot of the mainstream guys at training camp zag. I like that because you, you find different angles to take than everybody else is taking. I mean, is that how difficult is that?
4: I mean, it's tough. I mean, there's a reason that guys go out there and have three takeaways every day at practice. Right. I mean, it's kind of, it's really tough to create content. That's why guys like, you know, Sal Capaccio and, and guys like that, that's why they're the best at what they do. And that's why they deserve all the credit that they get is because they find ways to create, unique content in the mundane that is training camp and practice. Um, You know, so Icy and I really kind of just take a different stab at things in that we try to, everyone who follows us, we try to do what we can to just make you feel like you're there. We give play-by-play, we give, you know, offensive alignments, who's out there with the receivers, things like that, and, you know, just play-by-play as much as we can to make you feel like you're there even when you're not there. So, you know, I give all the credit in the world to those guys that do it day in and day out. Because I definitely couldn't, um, which is why I'm glad it's a hobby. And, uh, you know, appreciate the opportunity to work with guys like you that kind of do it the right way and try to keep it interesting. Because if I had to do what those guys do every day, I'd never, never make it in the business, that's for sure.
2: If I do it the right way, do you mean walk out onto the actual practice field uh, on tra- at training camp? Because I, you, yeah, you, I mean, well, you and you Cam know, Boone got, got to watch that me point do it.
4: and everything after that point were spot on. You know, it was just... <laughs> It was just that
2: moment of, is that who's out on the field? Is that Drew? Why is Drew out on the field? <laughs> Folks, I constantly tell you guys, I'm not cut out for this pro journalism thing. Right there, exhibit. What are we at now? F. Exhibit F. Is why I don't belong there.
4: And in then, your in your defense, there's no signs that say don't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, and you know me, I'm one of those guys who I like to. I don't know. I'd rather ask forgiveness than permission.
1: Yeah, but well, but you and the word professional don't belong together. <laughs>
2: And then we're talking about annual, like all of the stuff that we work with Ryan on—the annual draft shows, and uh, even the season opening game with Thurman Thomas at uh, Thirty Four Rush, the Legends and Stars events that we get together for. I've learned that Ryan is one of the best hosts, pure hosts, in terms of fostering and kind of marshaling conversation. I and mean, he can, between Dan Borello from the Overtime Sports Show, Mario, and myself, he somehow keeps us from railroading each other for an hour and a half.
4: That is impressive. It comes with my uh, my education, uh, my adolescent social studies education degree that I have teaching seventh and eighth grade (laughs) students. Uh, I can handle them. I can handle you guys.
2: Awesome. Well, Chris, I think we're ready to jump into this thing. Why don't we hit everybody with this week's Bills news update? (laughs) The twenty twenty NFL schedule release. Last week, the team, re- the team in the league released their slate of 2020 games for each team. And unlike a lot of you, I, to the surprise of Chris and my wife, I had no interest in rushing to find my laptop. I didn't care about my phone. Instead, I literally made myself comfortable on the couch, poured myself a series of Manhattans, and watched the schedule release show on NFL Network. And I know, that doesn't sound like a thrilling endeavor, It's not because I like their programming or because I think their analysts know all that much, Chris. For me, it's more because that right there was probably the last real quote-unquote football thing that I'm going to be able to watch happen on TV for a long time. And if that's the case, I'd rather savor like a a $50 bone and ribeye instead of gobbling it up like fast food. I mean, Ryan, would you agree that that's kind of... What was your take on it? How, how did you approach the schedule release?
4: I, I actually tweeted out when I heard that they were doing a three-hour-long show on NFL Network. I tweeted out that that was about two hours and 45 minutes too long to cover the NFL schedule. I'm one that I, I don't read the spoilers coming into it because I don't feel like creating an Excel chart to figure out when they're playing and where. I wait for the schedule to come out. I take a look. I post a reaction and and off I go because to me it's, you know, it's about as meaningless as it can get other than how many back-to-back road games do they have? How many teams are they playing off coming off buys and how many night games do they have? that's really the important stuff you got to take away from it. So, but I don't begrudge anyone who wants to watch the NFL. I mean, 55 million people watched the draft and it was a virtual draft that no one had ever seen before. So you want to sit and watch the, you know, the, the schedule release. Hey, I, I get the, the Jones in for sports by all means.
2: See, I'll say this, Chris. I enjoyed myself, but I'm not falling for that shit again. I mean, (laughs) I fell, I fell asleep on the couch around 10 o'clock and I woke up at 11 p.m. in a panic because I'm looking at the clock going, Oh no. Oh, there's no, there's no way that A, this thing is still going on. My wife had long since changed the channel and B, I must have slept through the bill segment. So I turned, I had recorded it after 20 minutes of rewinding and fast forwarding, Chris. It was 11, it was 1128 and they finally teased that they would bring up Brandon Bean at the next commercial break. I felt like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and then they bring him in and he's talking to some clown with hair that's somehow worse than yours. And he, he's all fake tanned up like a, like a male version of Snooky. It was awful. The production, the, all of it, it was terrible. I'm done. Never falling for it again. With that said, Chris, I want you to read off our matchups. Read them off for the listeners, and then we're gonna sit here and talk about it.
1: All in order, week one. Was yeah, at home against the Jets, one o'clock. Then on the road, Miami, one o'clock, and then the Rams
2: home love, game, one o'clock. <laughs> I, I love your enthusiasm. I know you sound like a mortician. <laughs> I mean, you sound like a mortician.
1: Yeah, I know. Well, I mean, everybody knows this already. Raiders are in Las Vegas, four twenty-five, week four, playing the elite. Yeah, Derek the elite Carr. Derek Carr. There's
2: a bet coming for that. You bet your ass.
1: Oh, I got it. Can't wait. I'll have to October to think about it. Right. <laughs> uh, and then week five, Titans, one o'clock. Week six, Kansas City, Thursday night. Uh, let's hope nobody dies in a creek behind the stadium. <laughs> then the Jets away at one o'clock. Patriots at home one o'clock. Seahawks at home one o'clock. Arizona. I wonder if we could stay at uh. Cliff Kingsbury's house when we go to Arizona. That looks like a a Bond hotel.
2: I I have no... Why is he burning a fire in the middle of the afternoon in Arizona?
1: (laughs) Exactly 92 degrees. It doesn't
2: make any
3: sense!
1: And then uh, the week of Thanksgiving, uh, week after Thanksgiving, we're at at home. Which kind of sucks because I won't be able to spend uh, that Saturday night Ubering late for the uh, disco.
2: Remember the time those girls puked in your backseat on the way to Grand Island
1: on Thanksgiving Eve? It was Thanksgiving... Yeah, it was Thanksgiving Eve. I do remember that. (laughs) They they puked in my car. And then uh, December's – December's – Jesus. I mean, you got San Francisco Monday night. Then you got Steelers Sunday night. Then you have Broncos 19th or 20th. So that could be prime time. Mm-hmm. And then, again, Monday night. So we could have four prime time games in a row. And then we close the season <clears throat> against the Dolphins at home, which I think that should be a mandatory – uh, scheduling for the bills Miami in Buffalo in December slash January for a home game <laughs> that has to be mandatory
2: now folks I don't know what you think about the schedule but as you heard in the intro Michael Robinson believes but for the sake of transparency this isn't the first time he said this Chris what was it 2016
3: Ah, well you would think this year Uh, I think they they now have their quarterback. I think Tyrod Taylor is a franchise quarterback. I mean, you look at 20 interceptions, only, I mean, 20 TDs, only six interceptions, a pass rate almost at 100. Um, He's very efficient with the football. Rex always talks about his speed, talks about his running ability. But I think his abilities, coupled with Greg Roman's run scheme and how he calls offense and how he calls plays, yeah, he has to get a little bit better between the numbers. But his abilities, coupled with, uh, Greg Romans offers a scheme. I think it can be deadly in the, in the AFC East, and they can definitely challenge uh, the Patriots this year. And, I, I don't, hey, right now I got them winning it.
1: Michael Robinson, 2016 on NFL Network, picking the Bills to win the division with franchise quarterback Tyrod Taylor. And then
2: the 2016 season comes and goes. And instead of learning anything, he doubles down in 2017.
3: I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, first of all, because I trust I trust Tyrod Taylor. The guy does not turn the football over six interceptions last year. But some of the additions, including the head coach, Sean McDermott, including the defensive coordinator, and Leslie Frazier, because last year this defense left their cornerbacks on an island way too often. That cannot happen if they want to be able to threaten uh, the New England Patriots. And they have LaShawn McCoy. They run the football. They run the football with authority. That's what's going to be important if you want to beat the New England Pages. they got to feel you on the field. they got to feel your will. they got to understand that you're there and you mean business. If they can get that guy going right there and get him in space, it does not matter who's on the defensive side. He'll make a mess.
1: Michael Robinson, 2017 on NFL Network, picking the Bills to win the division.
3: So then 2018 came
2: it passed. Thought he
1: learned his lesson. And then in
3: 2019... Uh, Buffalo Bills. And the reason why I had to get my sheet guys is because they had all of these off-season additions. First of all, Frank Gore, Hall of Fame, I blocked for him. He's going to be a guy that's going to be able to talk to Shady and say, look, bro, you need to run a little harder. Or or whatever the case may be, he's going to be there to help Shady. Cole Beasley, always open. A nice guy that's going to be Open for Josh Allen whenever he gets in trouble. And then they took care of the offensive line, guys. They took care of the line of scrimmage. Spencer Long, Mitch Morris, Ty La Adrian Wilder, Jake Fisher. I mean, look at all of those names across the offensive line uh, uh, along with the guys that Cody we already Ford, have. They and Cody Ooh. Ford. I was getting to it. Cody Ford. I love the pickup. And then Ed Oliver on the defensive side to push that pocket um, uh, that, that, that Tom Brady likes to have. I like the Buffalo Bills. Now, it's June. I have to tell the viewers that. It's June. This could change next week. But right now, I got the Buffalo Bills winning the AFC East. Damn! Whoa! Whoa.
0: Get it again. Get it again nice and
3: clean. You've heard it right here. The Buffalo Bills will win the AFC East. What's the date? June 3rd? Let's get it, Buffalo.
1: Michael Robinson, last year on NFL Network. Now, my favorite part about that clip is that he did specify that it is June. And you know who is not on the roster in June? Jake Fisher. <laughs> like, do some research.
2: Ryan, what do you make of all this?
4: Uh, Michael Robinson learned in 2019 to at least add the disclaimer that this is June because he is starting to be a Bills fan where he gets burned year in and year out, that vicious cycle of we're good, and then you find out that they're not good. Um my big takeaway is Michael Robinson was a big Tyrod Taylor fan. And uh, he thought that Frank Gore and LaShawn McCoy were going to be the workhorse running backs last year. So not sure how much stock you want to take in what Michael Robinson has to say because he's in the business of entertainment. And uh, he's trying to make that show entertaining because everyone's picking the Patriots but him.
2: Would you say that this season's prediction is probably the closest. When you look at the makeup of the team, when you look at our offseason moves, you know, the dra- the UFA period, the draft, we just got done dissecting. Do you think that this might be the closest to being right? He's ever been.
4: This is the most talented Buffalo bills roster in two decades. Easy. Just top to bottom. I mean, they're going to cut guys that are probably going to find starting jobs somewhere else in the NFL. And, The schedule that they have in front of them is as manageable a schedule as I've seen. Um, The interesting thing is they're the only team uh, in the AFC East that didn't request back-to-back West Coast games so that you could stay out in the West Coast. Um, Apparently every team that requested back-to-back West Coast games got it from the NFL. And the Bills were one of the teams that didn't get it, which means they didn't request it. So they are going to go to Arizona by week home and then to san francisco so that fell about as well as it could have fallen considering that they didn't ask for back-to-back uh west coast trips
2: so i want to go around the table right now some pros and cons about the schedule as it lays out i mean i know there's going to be a lot of analysis both other other podcasts other publications that i'm sure you've already read and dissected to death by now but just around the table here some pros and cons of the way the schedule's laid out chris i'll start with you Give me one con and one pro as far as what you see from looking at the schedule.
1: Uh, I think the pro would be that we only have one uh, back-to-back home games. I don't know about you, but last year when we had three in a row, that that like took a toll on, on me. Just having to, every, every Sunday spending all day at the stadium. And then I think uh, a con is if this thing blows up in our face and we go back to being mediocre this year, Having three, maybe four primetime games in December with the Steelers game having the ability to get flexed out if we're not good. Mm. So <clears throat> I don't like that all of our primetime games are basically at the end of the season. What about you, Ryan?
4: What do you have? Pro with a week 11 buy. I like late buys as much as you can for teams just because it gives you an opportunity to get healthy down the stretch. And that's extremely important. And we know how good this Bills team has been at getting healthy and staying healthy. Con for me is, is that I think the schedule is sneaky, difficult at the end because you're going to get, you know, Pittsburgh at night, you're going to go on the road to mile high you get a night game against the Patriots at the end of the season when Belichick's had time to get everything all put together and figure out what he's got in a roster, and he's already seen the Bills once before. And then you never want to see a team like Miami, especially the way they played last year in those, you know, quote-unquote must-win situations, um, you know, you could go into the bye week at, you know, very well 6-3, and three. You know, when you come out of the bye week and or sorry, it would be what, seven and three, you come out of the bye week and, you know, you're heading into that that uh, Monday night game or Sunday night game against the Steelers at, you know, whatever, 10 and two or whatever you would be at that point in time. And now you've got three games in a row that I, I think are just like I said, just it's just a sneaky, a sneaky uh, hard schedule at the end of the year. It doesn't look it. But I think. when you you stop to think about it, that could be a problem. If a team like the Bills control their own destiny and they need to win to get in, I think it might be tough to find some wins down the stretch.
1: See, I also think that we could have benefited if having that Chargers game a little bit earlier because you don't know when Herbert's going to come in or if Tyrod's going to start. Or by week 12, I would expect Herbert to be their starter.
2: Well, see, and that's interesting. See, when I look at it, here's what I see. If there's something that I didn't like, because you never want to you never want to finish on a low note, if I'm starting with something I don't like about the schedule, I see a lot of winners on the horizon. I mean, Chris, Ric Flair coined the If you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. And I understand that. I mean, that's what's been driving us and our desire to watch the Bills beat both Tom Brady and Bill Belichick for the better part of 20 years. Because you knew that you have to beat those – beating those very good teams – is almost like you, it's your way of knowing, hey, I could. I might be a good football team too. If the Bills are going to make the playoffs this year, they're going to have to do a ton of that. When you look at the, the makeup of their schedule, they've got three of 2019's division winners in New England, Kansas City, and San Francisco, and they've got five teams on a 2019's playoff picture in total. Five games against teams that have appeared in at least one of the last three Super Bowls, in Los Angeles, Kansas City, San Francisco, and two games against New England. And those five teams, Chris, have gone, or those four teams among, across those five games have gone 86 and 42 in the regular season since 2018. So those are teams that have racked up a lot of regular season victories on almost a two to one margin. So for more than a quarter of the Bills' schedule, our opponents, they're going to be teams that have dominated the regular season. And they, 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 mostly feature a combination of high caliber coaching and excellent talent at the skill positions. I mean, the loss of Tom Brady aside, each of these teams has a, either a highly paid or a highly touted quarterback. They've got phenomenal skill players on the offense. I think it's going to be a tall, tall ask for the Bills. You're coming well, dude, the- Let
4: me, let me, let me ask you real quick though. When you say that, look at this schedule. How many quarterbacks on this schedule scare you?
2: Well, and so this is it. And that's the pro for me. Cause I, and this expands into a bigger conversation, which I'm going to break out my whiskey for this one. The Bills have the best strength of schedule in the AFC East if you care about that as a metric. I mean, last week, Chris, we discussed with Mark Schofield from Pat'sPulpit.com. If you ask Vegas, the Bills and Pats are tied in terms of odds of winning the division. Meanwhile, the Jets and Finns are just... They're viewed by Vegas as lesser than rosters. I think Miami is plus 920 to win the division this year, which sort of under, and the Jets are somewhere in the 700s, which pretty much illustrates that we're to the Bills plus 120 tied with New England, which underscores that the people who gamble are saying, eh, the Patriots have Bill Belichick, but the Bills have the better roster, easily the best roster in the division. If you care about strength of schedule, I guess that that metric matters. I have a better one. Let me explain to you, Ryan, because that feeds right into it. The strength of schedule is kind of a garbage metric. Because the NFL, you know as well as anybody else, wins above replacement. You're a baseball guy. You're familiar with the wins above replacement metric. Yep. It's incredibly hard to pin down for football, given the nature of the game. At the same time, out of all North American sports, football has the highest suspension and injury rates. So the makeup of a team... Which would, which would dictate their difficulty, fluctuates dramatically over the course of any given season. I mean, a perfect example of this. Last year, the Steelers in the offseason, they looked like a much tougher out than they did when we played them, didn't they?
4: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Okay. It also doesn't take into account dramatic changes in the makeup from one offseason to the next. The Patriots still carry a weighted average of their victories as far as strength of schedule goes, even though they don't have Tom Brady and have hemorrhaged a ton of defensive talent in their front seven. So by that, how can you trust their quote unquote strength of schedule number? You can't, right? No, I mean, strength
4: of schedule, I mean, it's a flawed metric, especially at the start of a season because it's based on the prior season. And there's just so much roster turnover in the NFL. I mean, you, your point alone about the Patriots, you can't tell me that this is the same team with Jared Stidham as it would have been with Tom Brady and Kyle Van Noy and all those other guys that they lost in the offseason. Same thing. I mean, the Steelers, yeah, great, but they've got a 39-year-old Ben Roethlisberger coming back for them. Who knows what he's going to look like?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, and, if you if you believe Jay Glazer, what did he say, Uh he was asked about Ben Roethlisberger's fitness regimen, and he said, "Ben Roethlisberger and fitness don't belong in the same
4: sentence." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and does anybody really believe that Tennessee is as good as they were last year? Does anybody believe that?
2: No, I, I don't. Think, I think if any team in the NFL is screaming to take a step back from last year, it's that team.
1: I would say, on, on just <clears throat> on our schedule alone, I would, I would put the Rams. They're in cap hell.
2: Well, exactly, and not only that, but as we saw with the Rams. Quarterback play. Ryan Tannehill was one of the NFL's most efficient quarterbacks at the end of last year. What are the odds he repeats that? It's it's going to be a tall ask. And that is what, for me, in my opinion, when the schedule comes out, one of the first things I look at if I'm trying to figure out how difficult it is, is the presence of elite quarterbacks on our schedule. Because elite quarterbacks tend to manage. Chris, we talk about hem- teams that hemorrhage talent. Teams that lose things. Uh, Highly paid quarterbacks, right? Elite quarterbacks tend to manufacture points with less heralded skill position talent, which allows teams to go out and spend more money on the defensive parts of the roster. Think about it. The year the Rams went to the Super Bowl, they pretty much went all in on that. Yeah. They said, look, we're going to give away years with the draft capital, gobs of cap space. And that makes the team more dangerous because you've got a quarterback on either a rookie deal or at least in the early goings of an expensive contract extension who's going to play at a high enough level that you don't have to spend a ton of cash at wide receiver or running back or what, I mean, they did, but. So when I look at the bills opponents this year, we have three games against what I would consider elite quarterback talent in Pittsburgh, Seattle, and Kansas city. And I, Pittsburgh's a tough one. Ryan, do you think Ben Roethlisberger still fits that elite category? No, no. Ben Roethlisberger
4: hasn't been elite for, three, maybe four seasons. If you look at Ben Roethlisberger, and you'll know this if you're a fantasy football guy like I am, Ben Roethlisberger's home and away splits are astounding as how bad he is on the road compared to how good he is at home. It's it's Drew Brees-esque is what it is, and he's not as good as Drew Brees. So I, I don't view him as elite. I haven't viewed him as elite for a while, and especially coming off of, a, of an injury with a young quarterback who you know, led them to, you know, a, a pretty decent record for last season. You know, I don't trust Ben Roethlisberger. If I was a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, I wouldn't trust him at all.
2: So then if we, even if we, so let's say we take him down a peg and we put him in the category. I
4: would, I would throw Kyler Murray in though, instead of Roethlisberger. Wow. Kyler Murray to me is a really interesting quarterback at home because of the dimension he brings. And we saw the Bills do pretty good against Lamar Jackson, but... Lamar Jackson doesn't have the weapons that Kyler Murray now has. That that Cardinals team's interesting to me. It really is. And no, nobody well, said nobody's would swap Roethlisberger and Murray, and I would be okay with your three your three quarterback state statement.
1: Nobody's going to say anything about Garoppolo, no, and his receiving talent that he
4: has. <laughs> I mean, Garoppolo's own coach doesn't trust him down the stretch.
2: And so, this, so this, so then, if we want to break it down into another tier of top fifteen quarterbacks, we bump him down. There's four. We'll, we'll call Ben Roethlisberger. Ryan Tannehill, Jared Goff, and Jimmy Garoppolo. So all in all, that's seven games potentially against good to elite quarterback talent. So then, Chris, it's a 16-game season, though. And I think that the inverse can be said when you're talking, you know, because here you're talking about elite quarterback play making opponents more difficult. The inverse is true about young quarterbacks. And that's the other noteworthy thing I look for especially when you have a defense like ours. In 2019, the Buffalo Bills went up against three quarterbacks that were seeing the the NFL field for the first time in their careers. Uh, Denver, Washington, and Duck Hodges in Pittsburgh. These these guys were still in their very first, first games of their careers. No quarterback had more than 178 yards passing. Each of them got sacked four times, And we outscored those teams by a margin of 61 to 22. The reasons for that can be obvious. I mean, Ryan, playing quarterback as a young player in the NFL, we saw Josh Allen go through it. I mean, I'm astounded that we didn't see Kyler Murray struggle the way I thought he would. You know, we watched Lamar Jackson struggle as a passer in his first year. You see this with these, Daniel Jones had a rough go. It's hard to acclimate to just pass defenses in the NFL. And I think the numbers bear that out, don't you think?
4: Yeah, that's why when Chris brought up the Chargers, I, it was it was interesting to me because you look at that Chargers game, Week Twelve, and that's about the time where if Herbert doesn't win the job coming out of camp, that's about the time where you're probably pulling the trigger if you're, uh, you know, if you're Anthony Lynn because your season's probably sunk by that point, in that AFC West, and the idea of getting Justin Herbert, a kid who played in the Pac-12 his entire college career and and didn't play great in the Pac-12 gets to come to Buffalo on October on uh, November 29th and play against that Bill's defense. I mean, that game to me is, you know, that's leaving at halftime blowout got written all over it. I mean, I know that's a trap because it's the bills, but that's the kind of schedule that I look at and I'm like, I'll take Justin Herbert all day long over Tyrod Taylor on November 29th in a game that's you know going to have playoff implications for the Bills by that time around. I don't want to see Tyron Taylor Week 12 because we know what he is, and he's a guy who's not going to go out and lose a game. I would much rather see a rookie quarterback in that situation.
2: Well, seeing through that lens, I guess that's the thing. In 2020, the Bills have four games. I mean, it sounds an awful lot, uh, just uh, everything coming out of Miami, it sounds like they're already starting to prop him up to win that quarterback competition coming out of training camp. It sounds like they very much want to get him on the football field. I don't know how smart that is, but it seems like that's the way things are trending. And if that's the case, the Bills will have four, if not five, depending on what happens with Herbert, games against first-time quarterbacks. And then if you factor in guys with less than one full season under their belts when the season starts, Drew Locke and Kyler Murray, that's seven games against quarterbacks with less than 16 starts.
1: When 2020 kicks off. See, I'd like to keep my eye on Denver throughout the season. Because we got them at the end of the year. And look how much stuff they did in free agency and the draft to put pieces around Drew Locke. I
2: don't know. They're trying to rebuild quickly. Kind of in the same vein that Miami is. Uh, The only difference is is that they took their quarterback a year earlier. So when you look at that, though, that's another aspect of the schedule analysis that to me transcends the strength of schedule metric. And I think that if you're an average football team, and you can agree or disagree with me on this, Ryan. If you're an average football team, if you're the New York Giants, if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, tracking the, you know, hey, how many young quarterbacks do we get to play? That probably doesn't matter so much. But when you're riding a proven-to-be elite defense, the way we have, that just got deeper over the course of this offseason, That lack of experience under center for a big chunk of your season, I think it's an exciting concept.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's when I look at a schedule, that's one of the things that I look at is how many quarterbacks, how many good quarterbacks do I face and where do I face them? I mean, because it matters that you get Russell Wilson at home and not in Seattle, right? That matters in the grand scheme of things. It matters that you get Jimmy Garoppolo at the end of the season and not the beginning of the season. It matters that you get Drew Locke at the end of the season and not the beginning of the season, you know, to Chris's point. So it absolutely matters when it it matters to me that you don't see the Raiders until week four, because who's going to be starting then? Derek Carr? Is it going to be Marcus Mariota? You you don't know what's, what's going to go on in Oakland, how quickly Gruden's going to be pulling the trigger because he already supposedly doesn't like Carr. They went out and signed Mariota in the off season, you know, so I, I definitely agree that, Quarterback play against an elite defense like the Bills and a team that's the expectation is playoffs or or it's a failure of a season, the quarterback play is huge. And I think based on the schedule, you know, and as we've talked about, it falls really well for the Buffalo Bills and the quarterbacks that they face and when they face them.
1: Yeah, I said it, I said it last week with Schofield. Patriots, Jared Stidham, the least accomplished quarterback on our schedule is New England's quarterback. <laughs>
2: Which is crazy to me, but that's the case. That, that's, what that's what we're potentially looking at here. Like Even the, the, there's the kids coming out of college, maybe yeah. maybe Justin Herbert might be the only one who wouldn't have accomplished as much as Jared Stidham during the course of his either collegiate or professional career. Now, before we wrap this conversation, we got to talk about something here, and that, Chris, is the primetime games. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this. I had to chug a Seagram's before we started recording. Two of them, in fact.
1: Oh, yeah, because the audio still screwed up. I'm
2: telling you, the (laughs) sugar rush that I have, there's 46 (laughs) grams of sugar in those two beverages. I'm on cloud nine right now. My heart is racing. I mean, this is incredible, folks. I mean, I wonder if this, Chris, I wonder if you could swap out Seagram's for epinephrine. Like. (laughs) But in any event, we have four primetime games—the most since 1996. Now, I mean, Chris, given the, I expected some love given the massive ratings we got on Thanksgiving, the, the fact that we got flexed into Sunday Night Football and put on a compelling football game.
1: Yeah, and that ESPN gets the worst, or what they view as the worst playoff game, and we crush the ratings. Against Houston,
2: absolutely. So with that,
1: I mean, I, I kind of expected
2: to get some love, but you're lying if you if you think if you said you saw four coming.
1: I saw three. I saw three com- coming. I did not expect four.
2: I mean, Ryan, what's your what's your take on not just the number of games, but the quality of the opponents and the magnitude of those games?
4: Yeah, well, you know, keeping in mind that five's the cap, right? No, no team gets more than five every season. So the Bills go from one flexed in. Flexed in to, to four. I mean, and then to your point, Drew. I mean, you these aren't they're not putting the bills on the night games for a ratings boost, right? They're putting them on because these are going to be good football teams. Kansas City in Buffalo, the def, you know the the defending NFC champions in San Francisco, the the game of the year for the for uh, Sunday Night Football last year, arguably when it comes to ratings and overall performance against the Steelers. You get them at home. And then a potential, if not already, a playoff-clinching game for what could be for the AFC East title for the first time in over a decade. You you get them, you get the New England Patriots. I mean, there's, again, these aren't games that are being put out for the Bills because, well, we need a ratings bump, so let's throw, you know, Buffalo-Miami out there on Thursday night because we don't have any other better game that week. These are good football games. And these are games that, you know, I think a lot of them are going to be pick 'ems. You're going to see Kansas City probably favored but not by much because you're in Buffalo. You're probably going to be San Francisco favored but not by much because it's in San Francisco. And I think, you know, again, these are going to be games that people are going to expect to be good football games, albeit maybe not high scoring, they're going to be good football games. And that's, you know, that's a testament to what the NFL thinks the Bills are going to be this year.
2: Chris, there's a level of anxiety that comes along with this. Like, I'm already starting to feel it. I'm already uncomfortable because I, I'm i used to – I liked our – I mean, you hear Sean McDermott talk about it all the time. We haven't we haven't proven anything. You know, all the accolades are nice and all the love from the league is nice, but we haven't won anything. It's easy to say that if you're a coach trying to just keep your team focused. It's harder as a fan not to buy into that.
1: You know, when the schedule came out and I saw all these primetime – Games And it specifically looked at the ones that were going to be at home, and I'm like, oh, I got to call off work three days. Well, and that's the thing
2: that (laughs) – that's the thing, Chris. Despite all – but you, me, and our guest, Ryan Lazel, despite our abnormal body types, our varying but altogether ridiculous hairstyles, and our altogether terrible personalities. I mean, let's face it, we're (laughs) – Ryan, you and I can agree neither of us is winning a popularity contest anytime soon, right? No, that's for sure. (laughs) But we all have something in common in that we're season ticket holders for the Buffalo Bills. When the schedule comes out, that's one of the first things my eyes go to, or at least the way that I'm looking at the schedule, is, first of all, when do we play the Patriots? Because that's always the first thing on my mind. But then how does the schedule lay out for tailgating? Now, to your point, Chris, those three days in a row last year where we had to tailgate three weekends in, you know, in sequence, that was rough.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we it, don't have... It takes have, a I'm, physical toll yeah, on
1: you. I am glad we do not have back-to-back-to-back home games.
2: I mean, and for our listeners, if you didn't get the picture enough over the you know, two and a half years of listening to our podcast, I take tailgating seriously as if it was a sport in and of itself. My Super Bowl, for me was single-handedly setting up a tailgate in the face of 30 and 40 mile an hour winds and a whiteout at, during the Indianapolis versus Buffalo Blizzard game. Chris, I had a 10x10 10 10 tent with walls on it, both grills going, multiple heaters. I was providing hot food and shelter to over 20 people during that game. You couldn't even see the stadium from our lot and Chris were what? A football field's length away from it? Yeah. To me... I viewed that, Chris, as one of the biggest wins. I mean, obviously, it's great that we won the football game, but I had already won before kickoff. The fact that I was able to pull that off, because to me, that's what I I love tailgating. So with that said, this is a very tailgate-friendly schedule. Ryan, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, I mean, I I had a a knee-jerk reaction when I saw Kansas City at home on Thursday night. And my knee-jerk reaction, the old Bills fan in me came out and said, "I come on, do I really have to watch this team get their heads caved in on Thursday night (laughs) against the defending Super Bowl champs? And then I looked at it again, and I said, you know what? All last season, the argument was that the Bills could play with anyone in the NFL. And you wanted your crack at Baltimore. You got it. You almost pulled it off. You wanted your crack against... You know, the Steelers, you wanted a chance to prove yourselves in prime time. You got it. You won the football game. You gave the Patriots all they could handle twice last season. And this is that next step, right? This is the next step is to face the improved Super Bowl champs at home, you know, week six of the NFL season with an opportunity to send a message to the rest of the NFL that this this Bills team is not only – a team to be reckoned with, but a legitimate contender for the first time in, I mean, again, two decades. And it's been a long time since this stability team has been this good. And if you can send a message to the NFL and beat that Kansas city team at home on Thursday night, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, in a little bit, the fans and whatnot, but you know, if the fans are in the stands for that game, that's going to be an electric atmosphere
1: for Buffalo. Well, I could easily see us five and zero. Going into that game. Jets, Jets Dolphins, uh, the, cap, the salary cap Rams, Las Vegas, and Tennessee, who we all think is going to take a step back. Those are all five winnable games to walk into, have Kansas City come here and be 5-0. and
2: Well, and while we're looking at the open part of the early part of the schedule, you're talking about the names on there. What I like about the way the schedule lays out, again, from a tailgating perspective, the bulk of those early home games come when the weather's still typically here in Buffalo pretty fair. And they're matchups that are either big names, like Kansas City or New England, or they're teams like the Rams that we just don't get to see that often. When that happens, people come out in droves for those games. And the, the pregame experience is usually pretty great. And in over 10 years, Chris, I've attended a lot of football games. I've tailgated for a lot of football games. I've tailgated for night games, for early games. I've tailgated for all kinds. Never a Sunday night football game. Do, yeah, do we I, bring generators and do we just watch football all day in the parking lot? Like, how, do, how, do, how does yeah. one tailgate for a Sunday night football game?
1: Yeah, you bring generators and hopefully it won't be freezing-ass cold. <laughs> and hopefully it's not flexed out.
2: Well, and speaking of cold, the schedule only has one home game in the month of December. Now, that's good for us in the sense we're not freezing our asses off. I also think it's difficult because if you do hit that back half of the schedule and you're looking at, oh boy, the Bills need to make a run. In order to be a contender. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard with a lot of your games on the road. So, Chris, I mean, there's a lot to like here, and ultimately, I love this schedule. I love the way it lays out for us. But you have to wonder with everything going on if we're actually gonna to get to see it, right? I mean, I think this is what folks, this is I've been looking forward to this podcast for the better part of two weeks now. Because just out of of my own curiosity, sickness, I don't know what you want to call it, boredom. We've put together a show that's going to essentially a dissection of the state of North American sports as it relates to both the Buffalo Bills and football. I mean, looming over all of this buzz about the 2020 schedule release is this cloud of lingering concerns, not just for the football season, but for sports in general here. Is we continue working through the fallout of the COVID crisis that's currently impacting the entire world, Chris, all of it, Not, not country by country, not a few states, the world is dealing with this. There's a ton of uncertainty, and for good reason. No one has seen anything like this before. It's touched every aspect of our lives everywhere, including sports. And with so many varying reports and scenarios being painted over what is and isn't possible, what certain leagues should do, what players should do. And I'll admit, a lot of the conversation is politicized and involves a lot of rhetoric from everybody involved, which, Chris, it's why I choose to stay out of that aspect of it. I still think it's a good time to take a look at the social and economic realities facing sports here in North America, to get a feel for what could be on the horizon, not just for the NFL, but for our Buffalo Bills. I think the first part of the discussion, part one, is just understanding the economic disparity in North American sports. Here's something that's probably not news to fans of football. The NFL makes a shitload of money. (laughs) Ryan, that's not an exaggeration. No, not in the least. The most money, Chris... Of any sports league on the planet Earth, and almost as much in a single season as the second and third highest-grossing
1: sports leagues,
2: Major League Baseball and Premier League
1: Soccer. Is that absurd? That is absurd. I don't. I don't think a a virus is going to take down these NFL owners from getting their money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you, you get a feel for that too. I mean, Ryan. What are your thoughts on that? The NFL—I mean, I mean—just to see the scope of how much ca- how much revenue and capital the NFL has at its disposal. I mean, that's staggering.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, the NFL has a couple things going for it. One, and I know we'll talk about this a little bit—they don't—they don't need people in the stands. They—they they don't. They're the only sports league in North America that doesn't need fans in the stands to make money. Period, point blank, end of story. The other thing is that they are the only team. They're the only league where tickets have not gone on sale for the season yet, except for season tickets, which means they don't have to worry about the risk of refunding tickets if fans can't attend games or if the season doesn't actually happen. So they, they're the only league where they've been able to go into this with eyes wide open and say, what's mm-hmm. our realistic chances of A, having a season and B, making money off of this season. And what are the risks in proceeding forward? That's that these other leagues didn't have the, the luxury of doing.
2: It. That's a really good point. They have the ability to kind of watch everybody else, and they're on a very different timetable from every other sport. But that doesn't happen by accident. I mean, Chris, in 2019, NFL revenue came in above $15 billion. The combined revenues of N- of the NBA, Major League Baseball, and NHL come in somewhere around $21 billion. The three of them have to get together – in order to bring the kind of money to the table that the NFL does. And it's not hard to see where the disparity comes from. It's all, but it's all based on TV. Cord, cord cutting and streaming has become incredibly commonplace in our society. And because of that, TV and cable networks, they require programming that not only incorporates natural opportunities for advertising, but that will also maintain attention for a large collective of people long enough to maximize the profitability of that advertising. And that's what makes the NFL such a juggernaut. When you look at the Nielsen ratings, now you worked in radio, you understand m- metrics like the Nielsen and how important that is. Yep. Okay. Per Nielsen, since 1990, the Super Bowl makes up nine of the 10 highest programs to air on TV. Not just spawns on television. The only one to beat it was the 1994 Winter Olympics.
1: Oh, I was going to go with the uh, series finale of Perfect Strangers.
2: <laughs> Ryan, would you have ever guessed that the Tanya Harding scandal would carry so much weight?
4: Well, I well, no, I guess I wouldn't have ever thought that, but I guess looking back on it it makes sense why, right? I mean, it was a transcendent story in not only sports, but just news in general, and very rarely does the NFL transcend the sport like that would, but no, I mean, if you would have given me 10 guesses, I never would have guessed the 94 Olympics women's figure skating event would be the one that would
1: offset the Super Bowl. <laughs> nothing nothing says ratings like a lead pipe from Jeff Galouli. <laughs>
2: the fact that you know his name. I think that's, that's why it's that's why it's in the top ten. That's why it's in the top ten. In 2018, Chris, 40 of the top 50 most watched sporting events were TV on football were TV. Uh, excuse me, on TV were football. And when you think about it, no individual event can hold a candle to anything that the NFL drives in terms of just attention, point blank and period. Ryan, you're a basketball fan. Would you say that NBA I basketball would. you enjoy it? Yes. In 2018. LeBron versus the Golden State Warriors NBA Championship Elimination Game. It gets 4.5 million viewers. The first night of the NFL draft that same weekend had 7 million viewers. The Pro Bowl from 2018 had 4, 5.3 million viewers. Those two events aren't even, aren't even real competition. And they, be, and they beat what was arguably the most compelling basketball game of the year. Are you shocked by that?
4: No, and I mean, I'm not just because I, I look at the basketball as, as what it is. I mean, it's the, the guys don't have helmets on. So they are a much more known entity. The players, there's 10 of them on the court at once instead of 22 on a football field or, you know, 106 on the on the field on any given game day. Um, you know, so you if you don't like the guys, you're not going to watch. And a lot of people don't like what basketball has become it's very uh, it's a very me sport um but i find it entertaining as hell which is why i still watch it um, i was one of those 4.5 million or whatever you said but you know i get it football is to your point it's juggernaut and it's you know it's there it's that for a reason it's a relatable sport right it's the acquisition of of uh property through violence and everyone enjoys that throughout through the end of time they'll enjoy the acquisition of property through violence and that's
1: what football is I was going to say, I think the lat, like the highest-rated NBA game was '98 Jordan beating the Jazz. I the, believe is like the highest-rated TV. I'd have to fact-check that. But yeah, call in you, if you know it.
2: But he, but even then, I still don't think that it holds a candle to what it doesn't to, to what and and because of that, the NFL has positioned itself incredibly well in terms of TV revenue. In 2019, the NFL made $5 billion in revenue just from TV contracts. That's it, just from the contracts, the rights to broadcast the game. Now, you compare that to the $5 billion that your beloved NHL made as a whole. The the NHL only grossed $5 billion as a league. The NBA brought in just $2.6 billion from its TV deals. And Major League Baseball, it's it's interesting because they have kind of a – you're a baseball fan – they the a, regional networks. That's the thing. There's a convoluted system of regional TV deals, combined with their own streaming service. So their 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 numbers hard to pin down. But their total revenue was just ten billion in 2019. So it's safe to assume that it's less than what football took on, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean,
4: yeah. It's absolutely. It's no. Nobody watches baseball. I mean. It's 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 an antiquated sport that is having trouble connecting with a younger audience. I mean, if you didn't grow up watching baseball, you're not watching it now. They're not gaining any new viewers, which is you know a struggle for all sports sports leagues. But baseball seems to be struggling the most with it. I mean, that's why they're coming out with saying that they're going to add the DH to the NL now because it's you know it's been a hundred years in the making. Nobody wants to watch a
1: pitcher bat you know 048 for the season. So they're trying to connect to a younger audience,
4: and that's one of the ways they're doing it.
1: Yeah, but a younger audience, they don't have the attention span. You know, think of all the ways that baseball over the last couple of seasons have tried to speed up games. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a slow, monotonous
4: sport. And again, if you, if you didn't grow up with a grandfather or, you know, a, a father that watched baseball, you, you know, what, what, what gets you interested in baseball? You know, Mike Trout, it might be the most well-known baseball player, and he lives on the West Coast. Nobody's going to stay up until 10 o'clock at night to watch, you know, a three-and-a-half-hour baseball game. It's
1: just
2: not going to happen. I was a little kid, and the only, the only baseball player in my entire life I ever give a damn about was Nolan Ryan. And that was because not only was he, uh, he was just...
1: The fight with Robin Ventura?
2: Well, I was going to say, he, he was around forever. So it was like that guy that you could say you were a fan of, and no one could no one could like question you on it. Like, oh, he's not even in the league. He was a safe pick as a kid who didn't love pro baseball to be like, oh yeah, I like Nolan Ryan, and people were like, oh yeah, he he's good. And but then he beat up Robin Ventura, and I got to see that as a little kid, and it just cemented in my mind forever that he was the greatest baseball player of all time. (laughs) I, I didn't even I didn't even know who Hank Aaron was until I was in high school. So that that goes to show you how flawed my view of the sport is. But it speaks to the fact, the numbers, Chris, speak to the fact that the NFL dominates national attention. And with that comes a lot of bargaining power and a ton of cash, which has left it really well positioned. I mean, and I guess that's part two, is understanding the variance in revenue streams and the impact of fan attendance. To Ryan's point, the NFL is so well positioned right now. Compared to most other sports in the world, they almost—you could make the argument—they don't need it, and the numbers will bear that out. But the questions remain as to whether or not these sports will even take place at all. Okay, money, Chris. Money talks. Yes, you it said does. it. You said it as we started this conversation. The owners are going to try to get their money. Yeah, isn't that what drives these guys' ego and greed? Yeah. But Ryan, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Do you think? No, I, I mean, mean, isn't that no, it's not
4: bad? If, if, if anyone in the world had the opportunity to own an NFL franchise and a single person, they would say no.
2: No, because okay. it's,
4: a, it's a cash cow. It's a guaranteed cash cow with revenue sharing. It's, it's impossible to lose money owning an NFL franchise.
2: And I also think that in the era, especially like when we look at the NFL in the, since the inception of free agency, this is what it's about. It's about winning and getting paid. That's, that's what all of this comes down to. And so in that way, Chris, these, these millionaires, if there's money out there to be had, these millionaires are going to try to find a way to get a piece of it. So there have been preliminary discussions on all sorts of options as far as the logistic of, logistics of sports occurring here in the U.S. But I think for a lot of leagues, there's been a lot more ifs and whens from a majority of them when they weigh their options and kind of look around the world for cues from other groups. I mean, I polled some of our international listeners. One of the things that seems to be picking up steam all over the world is this concept that people keep talking about of playing your sports in an empty stadium with no fans, which, Chris, in theory would seem to be the way to reduce enforce social distancing and make sure that you're not actively spreading a disease while trying to get your sports entertainment in, Right.
1: Yeah, and then, I mean, even with the teams, you you probably have to to test, you know, before and after the game, and, you know, testing between teams would definitely ramp up, and and my question would be, when it comes to teams playing each other, what about the teams that are located in Canada?
2: Well, that's it. There's a lot of, and there's a lot of different nuts and bolts to this. So, when talking to our international listeners, Hugo in Portugal. He was talking to us and he sent me a lot of information about European soccer, which is the world's game. It's the most popular game in the world, if not the highest grossing when you add together all of the various sports leagues that exist. It's a mess. Spain is going to try to play. They're going to test all players and only negative players are going to be able to enter training facilities. They're going to be forced to live with each other in dormitories and they're going to try to restart their league on June 20th. But fan, but they've already said fans will not be allowed in until January 2021. England's premier leagues. That's a mess because you're talking, it's being held up by teams that some teams want to delay it for as long as possible because they know their team is bad and they want to keep making as much money off licensing and merchandising as they can before their team gets relegated to a lower league. So it's infighting. I mean, Chris, they're having debates about disinfecting the grass.
1: All right. That's a little, that's a little much. <laughs> I thought EPL uh, canceled, well, not canceled, but postponed their season. And I think Liverpool had like one or two games left until they clinched the league.
2: Yep. And so they're part of the group that's pushing for the season to finish because there's a lot of money at stake in that.
1: Yeah, they want that goddamn title. And the
2: teams that are at the bottom, saying, "Hey, if we finish this season, I'm going to get the boot." They're going to try to drag this thing out for as long as they possibly can. So that, in and of itself, is a disaster. But even the EPL agrees no fans should enter a stadium until 2021. I think the most bizarre thing I saw, and Ryan, I want to get your opinion on this. The German league Bundesliga, there's a team that said, hey, guess as a fundraiser, here's what we could do. We're not going to we, we agree, no fans in the seats until 2021. But they're going to sell cardboard cutouts of fans, like fatheads, that'll sit in every single seat. And it'll show up on the televised broadcasts. What do you think about that as a revenue generator? Soccer fans are a unique breed, man.
4: They really are. I mean, and they they will they'll sell out of those fatheads. <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind whatsoever that they will sell out of those because those those fans are, are, are wacky. I mean, I have friends stateside that are big fans of, of Bundesliga and they're beyond pumped. To be able to watch their team play again. Bayern Munich is, you know, that, that seems to be the big team out there. I don't know much about soccer, but, you know, I have no doubt whatsoever that if they decide to go that route that they'll sell out. And it's just bizarre to me. I mean, I wouldn't pay it.
2: <laughs> no, I don't need a picture of myself standing there awkwardly. Like Chris, I can only imagine they'd be like, smile. And you'd be like, I am smiling.
1: <laughs> what are you talking? About? I
2: am smiling.
1: Is this is my smile. <laughs>
2: The one thing that's important that I took away from all of his information is that in all regions of the world, from Russia to the Netherlands and Belgium, everywhere that's suspended soccer, the prevailing theory is that even though sports may resume at some point in the future, zero fans will set foot in a stadium before 2021. Now, in an interesting note, listener Mike Swenson from Australia, and this is why Australia is interesting, Ryan. You've tracked the COVID numbers here. I mean, you... You work in management for your company. You've taken a keen interest in this as it comes to just our own markets and our own public safety. You've got a family to worry about. And I know that you've paid a lot of attention to these numbers. Australia's COVID impact has been incredibly smaller than that in the U.S. They have a a population of 25 million, but only 6,925 cases and 97 deaths nationally. I mean, those percentages seem crazy, don't they?
4: Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, it sounds like they're doing the right things when it comes to stemming this. And, you know, you hear the the phrase flattening the curve. And I mean, that's about as good as you can get.
2: They haven't had more than 800 active cases at any one given time over the course of the last few months. And they've recently, as I think last week, they hit 800,000 tests with an infection rate detected of just 0.9. So if anything, Australia should be feeling pretty good about where they are in terms of the infection and everything else, National Rugby League just saw its training resume May 4th, and the games are scheduled to start May 28th. They represent the earliest any sports league that I can find anywhere in the world is going to restart their action. They're going to pick up where they left off in the middle of their season, which was two weeks in, and they're going to try to run. But they've shortened it, so instead of being a 26-week tournament, it'll be a 20-week tournament. But the thing is, they're still mandating no fans in attendance until 2021. It seems like kind of a strong reaction despite those numbers, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, when,
4: I think when you look at how this all started in certain areas, I mean, there was a massive outbreak of COVID-19 that could be traced back specifically to a soccer game in, I think it was Spain. And they, they traced it back to, an over 60% um, infection rate in those folks who attended that game. And it, it, you know, it's not difficult to understand why mass gatherings like sporting events would be the very last thing that gets up and running again, because, you know, you know how you are at games and I know how I am at games and the idea of guys like you and me sitting around other people yelling and screaming and spit flying and, you know drinks being shared and high fives and hugs and everything that goes with a football game literally everything no event.
2: that literally everything you just described is the well, the, the well, polar opposite of social distancing
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. and and that's on a single play yeah that's on any event. one <laughs> given play yeah Ryan I mean, that's I the Josh Allen touchdown run yeah Ryan I don't know what happens in in your section but you know in 200 uh, people in front of us they bring pierogies and hand them out to people we share pierogies in 200 yeah i mean we you know we we have you know a group of
4: guys that sit, have sat next to us for the last 12 or 13 seasons and we share peanuts you know we, we shell peanuts and everybody shares them in the row and stuff i mean it's there's no there's no safe way to do football games and sporting events it's just
2: there just really isn't well at least not with the way things so well at least not with the way things currently stand as of today But so it's easy to see why leagues here in the U.S. are considering that similar approach of saying, look, if we're going to do this, we have to look into what it is without fans in the seats, because that's the only way this makes sense. But as with all things, that's easier said than done, because money is still something that has to be taken into account. And that's where this gets really interesting. And I think this week, people paying attention to sports, the conversations have started to heat up. But, Chris, I've been digging because I'm sick in the head without sports. I'm, I'm climbing the walls. And I've been doing research on this for weeks.
1: Yeah, baseball is supposed to be making an announcement soon.
2: Yeah. Well, I, let me preempt them with some of this, Chris. Major League Baseball, the third richest sports league in the world. If you, Because this is what I want to look at. In-player, in sta- not in-player, in-stadium revenue, gate receipts, concessions, I dug through all of the metrics as far as how much each sports league really leans on those as part of its overall revenue picture. And in some cases, what I found was pretty damning. Baseball being the hot one. For Major League Baseball, the, the talk is really heated up this week about how they're, the Players Association is talking with the owners and their ratifying deals, but then they're trying to negotiate them between the Players Association and the league as to what's fair and the best way to approach baseball in 2020. Their, their revenue last year was $10.5 billion, and of that, their gate receipts accounted for $3.2 billion of that, which is 30.5 of the entire league's earnings. Combine that with concessions, in-stadium revenue made up 39% of all of the cash that that league generated. Now, Chris, they are heavily reliant. That's 40% of all of your money. You're reliant on having people attending the games. And that's why this idea of following the international model of playing games that are only seen on TV could become a, a, a financial impossibility for a lot of these sports leagues and a lot of these teams. In an article from the San Diego Union-Tribune, I, it was on April 2nd, from a guy named Kevin Acey, The picture he painted was pretty bleak as far as the solvency of Major League Baseball with no asses in the seats. In the article, he quotes an anonymous source. Now, this is back in April, Chris, the beginning of April. An anonymous source involved with conversations between the Players Association and the league in terms of the logistics of the season who stated, quote, we'd be better off not playing. To do so, for any extended period of time, the losses will simply mushroom and it would be devastating to some of these franchises. Chris, the reality is the league can't cover its expenses with just TV money. They only made $3 billion, but their player salaries are $4.5 billion. So, with your TV money alone, Chris, you don't make enough to pay your players. How are you supposed to play the game? Ryan. Answer me this. As a fan of baseball, let's take the Padres, for example. They get a check from Major League Baseball for broadcast revenue of $90 million. That only covers, what, two-thirds of their $145 million payroll. How do you convince a group of players to go out and play when you don't have the money to pay them, much less cover the cost of operations and your front office? <laughs> you have a staff, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, and that—that's the interesting part about this, right? Is because teams are going to have to figure out creative ways to show games, you know, whether it's a, you know, a pay-per-view type of situation. But you've already got the MLB Network, and you've already got MLB TV. Which, you know, how do you how do you walk that back, right? At least the NFL has a structure with Game Pass where you don't get to watch the game until it's over, right? So you could you could potentially monetize that as a way to, to cover those. But, you know, to your point, it's a double-edged sword because the players have to play because otherwise they don't get paid. Right. But the teams need to figure out a way to monetize the game in and of itself beyond ticket sales.
2: Yeah. Just to, so, just to pay the players. Exactly. I mean, so, you know,
4: to, to, your, to that point of the article, it, are you, are you doing the work and putting everyone at risk simply to break even? Exactly. And can you just break even by just sitting it out and punting till next year?
2: Well, if you're talking about breaking even, look at this. Your beloved NBA. As I'm driving home, I was listening to your favorite Will Cain. Oh God! <laughs> I'm glad he's leaving ESPN. <laughs> your favorite Will Kane. I'm listening to the ESPN radio, and they come out and he comes up with this report: NBA gate losses. If they were to play in front of just empty empty arenas the league as a whole would lose 40% of its revenue, which is compounded by the fact that China is still boycotting the NBA. Mm-hmm. And the fact that China won't televise their games costs them an additional 10% of their total revenue from the previous two years, which means that if they tried to play in an empty stadium, okay, that's a great That's great in theory. How are you going to make it work missing 50% of your revenue from last year? Yeah, it, it it's not possible. And yet at the same time, here's the NFL. <laughs> yeah. Here is this juggernaut of a sports league, Chris, that seems to constantly at every turn be the exception to the rule. The NFL posted record revenue in 2019 of over $15 billion, And that came despite what was their lowest ticket sales in 15 years. They only had 66000 a game, which is the lowest since 2004. 15 teams saw reduced attendance. I mean Jacksonville. We all knew they were going to suck, but they lost almost nine percent of their ticket sales from the previous season. And there was only two teams in the whole NFL that actually grew their attendance numbers: Washington, which is surprising because that is i because I, I, I thought everybody hated Dan Snyder as much as I do.
1: Yeah, that guy is an ass.
2: I mean, if I if you put me in a room with well, well, what's the Michael Scott joke? If you put, if you put Toby put me in a room with Toby, Osama bin Laden, and Hitler and a gun with two bullets, I would shoot Toby twice. That's how I feel about Dan Snyder. (laughs) And Buffalo. Chris, Buffalo even is a team that sells out. When you look at even the the road games, and I think that played a huge part in this, how well our fans traveled because the team was good. Overall, over the course of the, the games that we were involved in, our overall ticket sales grew 6%. That's crazy. We're the only two in the NFL who pulled it off. But when you look at the overall revenue picture, now, hockey, hockey needs, I think it's like 35% of all their revenue at the gate. Baseball, 40%. Basketball, 40%. For the NFL, the gate only accounted for 15.7% of the total revenue picture. That's really healthy for a sports league to not have to rely on people. I mean, it sounds that way, right, Ryan?
4: Yeah. I mean, they, you know, it's, it's, it's it's funny because the NFL is in a position to be everything but the bad guy in this scenario, right? They can give everyone football. They can say, we're here. We're going to play. If you all want to come, come. And we're going to lay it in the laps of the governors and the local legislatures to make the decision as to whether you can come or not. And if you can't come, it's not because of us.
2: Oh, exactly. Right? And even- but, if,
4: but, if, but if you can't come, we're still going to be here. And we're still going to play and we're still going to give you that release that you crave you know, for the four months out of the year that we're not around and we're going to play football.
2: I like that phrase that you used. What was it? Property acquisition through violence? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that and I'm going to use it. But So let's say you take that out of the equation. The thirst people have for this, to see it in person, you, you, you extinguish that. That 15% equates out to $2.34 billion dollars. And then you take out the $7 billion expenditure that the league has to spend on player contracts. So you've covered your player pay for the entire season. You've taken away the revenue that would normally go from fans showing up to the game. The NFL still would have $5.6 billion in its pocket for the sole purposes of operations. I mean, that's incredible. It underscores that the NFL, by virtue of all that TV money and decades of positioning itself as the biggest draw, and the most lucrative vehicle for advertising might be the only sports league that actually can operate without fans in attendance. Now the question is, will they, <laughs> is that something that they're going to try Ryan? I mean, Yeah, because it's,
4: it's interesting too, because they're also the only league that can start whenever they want to start. Right. If you look at the NBA, they end right before football gets going because they don't want any part of that animal. And you look at hockey, same thing. They're they're wrapping up as the NFL starting to gear to gear into into form, right? Because they don't want any part of that animal. The NFL, I mean, the NFL could start in December if they wanted to. And they could leak they could leak into March Madness and they could bury that in the ratings and they could leak into, you know, everything else that happens and they could bury all of it. The NFL could play in the middle of the summer. And they would crush everyone that gets in their way. And that's, that's an interesting aspect because if they don't want to play without fans, they don't have to. They can push the season back and start it in
2: February. They, they, want they have ultimate flexibility just in terms of how well positioned they are. Before the pandemic, NBA leaders were discussing pushing off the start of the NBA season to Christmas just to avoid getting lost. The start of their season just being an also-ran on SportsCenter.
1: uh, Because I listen to Clay Travis religiously. He's been advocating for the NBA to do that for at least three years. To push the start of the NBA season to Christmas just for ratings sake that you're not getting in bed with the NFL and the NFL will crush you. Because you can't
2: fight it. I mean... Even non-sports programming, the shows like The Walking Dead, which I Ryan, I know you used to be a big fan and you kind of petered out. But The Walking Dead, which you agree with me is one of the biggest Sunday night series in recent history. Oh yeah, every single year takes an annual hiatus just to avoid dips in rating when the when the playoffs rolled around for football mm-hmm. when when division races start to wrap up, Chris, they're like, okay, four weeks left the NFL season we'll pack up and see you guys in 2 months <laughs> because yeah. because it's not worth it for them to try to go head to head with the NFL because you lose they are the well, eight- it, it's why yeah i mean it's,
4: it's why you've seen it's why you've seen television shows remember when we were kids television shows would go off for like 2 weeks during the holidays right and now it seems like every year that gap gets bigger and bigger to the point where you're doing split seasons now you do a a season that starts in august and you do a season that starts Eh, around Marchish, surprisingly right around the time that the nfl is done playing right i mean they the nfl is is charting landscape and saying if you want a piece of us come at it but you're not going to win and everything that goes up against them doesn't win and everything else around it needs to adapt they are
2: not just in sports chris but on tv entertainment they are the apex predator of the entertainment world it's incredible so when you look at that, it's not—it's imminent that this is going to happen. They're going to find a way to do it. So now details are starting to emerge as to what the league is thinking. And I want to get your thoughts on this, Ryan. So I'll lay out a timetable. On May 2nd, Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk writes that sources with direct knowledge of the NFL's deliberations say that there is a quote-unquote extremely small chance there's no 2020 season, which might seem crazy to some people. But Chris, they they've got piles of cash. They can essentially do whatever they want at this point. The schedule comes out a week later. Yeah. You
1: heard all the reports from, I had read it from John Clayton that he was told that they were like going to do all the NFC games the first four weeks. Cause you know, those are the games that least matter when it comes down to, to tiebreakers. And none of that happened. I looked at the schedule for, you know, all of the NFL teams and just the way the schedule lays, lays out it's, as if they say, you know, we don't care about uh, this virus being here. We're going to carry on as we usually do. Because there's, you know, teams are playing cross-country week one.
2: Well, And this is the interesting thing about the structure of the schedule. I mean, he whatever he received was bad information. But I wonder if that wasn't, not changed last minute, but if it was something, I mean, it's clearly intentional. I mean, think about it. All the teams who are playing each other in week two share a bye week, so you can kick those those games later down the road to week 11 if you needed to. The following weeks, week two and three, have no divisional contests, so you can either cancel them or, as Ryan alluded to, just kick them down the road weeks, a month. It doesn't matter. You have ultimate flexibility as far as how you want to lay out your schedule. But they packed week one, Chris, with a lot of must-see football action, a lot of divisional games, a lot of Hall of Famer on Hall of Famer games, the Tom Brady versus Drew Brees game.
1: Yeah, it's week one.
2: That's week one. They filled this schedule, and Ryan, it almost feels like they did this intentionally, like a, hey, let's start this thing with a bang. We're going to make week one happen whether anybody likes it or not. Even though they keep trotting out this line of public opinion and the results from health perspective, these are going to be contributing factors. (laughs) They say these things. Yet you look at the layout of the schedule and you say to yourself, they're hell-bent on doing this. And to your point, it sounds an awful lot like they're going to make everybody else try and stop them.
4: Yeah, they're going to – I'm a firm believer that the NFL is going to make someone stop them from having games start on time. And, you know, right before the podcast – Got going, you know, right before we started to record, news came out of L.A. County that they're saying that L.A. County could be on lockdown for another three months. Now you're talking about L.A. County, one of the largest counties in America, on hold until August. That's that's a county saying you're not playing NFL football in September if we're on lockdown. Lockdown, meaning what what New York State is currently experiencing until August. Well, and so, so and football so, in September is completely out of the out of the question. College football, see ya, Pac twelve. That's the entire Pac twelve. That's yeah. USC. That's that's
2: you know that's Cal. That's you know not happening. And so this is the other thing that I find interesting. The the league has already put together a plan for reopening yep. individual teams. While admitting that they do – that they're good – they keep saying this thing. and I feel like it's the thing you do. It's what I used to do to my parents when they'd be like, all right, I really need you to shut off, shut off the video game, shut it off, and come do your homework. And you're like, all right, okay, I'm going to. Five more minutes. Five more minutes, I promise. Let me just beat this level. Let me just beat this level. Let me uh, – I, I promise – and I'll do the dishes too. Just give me – five more minutes, five more minutes. Next time I die. Yeah. yeah. You just keep – you keep saying you're going to do the thing. You're like, hey, I'll comply with this thing that this higher power is telling me. But at the same time, I'm also going to keep trying to do what I want to do.
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, let's be realistic too. What track record does the NFL have that they're going to do the right thing? And they're going to do the thing that that probably makes the most sense to make sure that everyone is safe. They, They have zero track record that that's going to happen whatsoever.
2: But so then in terms of the... I guess when you, when you look at this, they keep saying this. Hey, we, we care about what local government thinks. We care about what the CDC thinks. Chris, when you look at this, the steps that they've taken to develop their own in-house plan as far as how the league is going to open, it seems pretty robust. According to Pro Football Talk, every team is going to have a task force assigned to police you know, policing, sanitization, and infection monitoring, regular testing. They've worked with the CDC to develop guidelines for things like not just a testing program, but quarantine procedures, infection tracking, traceability. And it seems like they've even softened their stance, Ryan, which I found interesting in this all or none attitude that they first came out with and said if no team can play or no team can practice, then no, you know, if, if one team can't, then nobody can. And yet that even seems to have softened because now you have te- reports are coming out as, as or recent as today that teams are looking for places outside of their home states to practice if their home state, to your point, L.A. County, won't allow them to gather and hold a football practice. Which, again, smacks of the league saying, hey, we care about what you think, as long as it doesn't get in the way of our money. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean,
4: you know, and kind of the, the trendsetter so far has been the UFC, right? And Dana White came out and they had fights last weekend, and one of their fighters and two of his corner men tested positive, you know, so the ethical question came up is what's the number, right? What's the number where this no longer becomes a viable option with the UFC? You know, it's, it's three, three people that were involved in that weekend's fight potentially if they hadn't have been tested correctly or whatever the case hadn't started manifesting symptoms or whatever. So what's the number? Is it one? Is it, a third of a team is it until a team can no longer field an active roster like what's the number to where the NFL is going to say you know what we're probably not going down the right road here um because it's not going to be the players right the players aren't going to say it because the players aren't going to get their the players aren't going to get paid Dan so Arlovsky they're, not gonna, they're never going to say
2: boo Dan Arlovsky former NFL quarterback was on ESPN radio uh Golik and Wingo this morning talking about that exact topic And what he said was he was recalling back in his days when he goes, okay, I got sent, I got traded. Essentially, whatever the situation was, it was against his kind of will. But he got sent to go play for the Colts. And he said, okay, well, I'm not uprooting my family and bringing them here. But I'm also not going to say no. Because the millions of dollars that I make over the course of this six, seven. It, careers could be one or two years. No career is guaranteed in the NFL. And as long as fully guaranteed contracts don't exist, these guys really, Chris, their earning potential is a relatively small window compared to the rest of their lives.
1: Isn't like the the, the average uh, length of career for an NFL player like three and a half? Yeah. Four years? Yeah. Yeah. So if you get an opportunity, you go play.
2: And that's what he was saying as he was talking about how he didn't want to be an indie. He wanted no part of this. But he also recognized that the $1.7 million that he'd be making to play there, even if it meant being away from his wife and kids and having no contact with his friends or family, meant that he was $1.7 million farther along to padding his bank account because that was going to represent more than he would make for the next decade's worth of work he put in after he left football. He was willing to do it.
1: Yeah, and and He bit the bullet and made it happen. And that pays for his kids to go to college.
2: Yep. So, Ryan, through that lens, you can absolutely see the players are going to line up and play if football's allowed to happen, right?
4: Yeah. Yeah, they're going to play because they're not going to give up those paychecks. Same reason the holdout is never going to actually happen or a strike's never actually going to happen when it comes to the CBA because the, the owners can survive for a season. The players can't, and that's that's the big problem. And, and it's not the players. It's not the J.J. Watts and the Drew Breeses. It's not those guys that can't survive a season. It's the roster bubble guys that can't survive a season. Oh, they of can't course. The
2: even even the Reed Ferguson's of the world. You know, Reed Ferguson, Bill's captain, just signed a contract extension. He makes a million a year. He could walk away. But what are the odds that that's... Chris, what are the odds that that sets him up the way playing one more year would? And maybe one more year after that. And maybe one more year after
1: that. Exactly. I'm not giving him those house keys I have over there. I mean, ultimately,
2: Ryan, regardless of what's happening, the moves that the NFL has made and continues to make, like just today, raising its own debt limit by $150 million per team, allowing teams, almost saying, hey, we know some teams might go into the red this year in certain certain instances, but we're going to allow that because the league itself has enough money to float you, speaks to the fact that, I mean, whether they're savvy moves, whether you're you're wildly against it, whether you think sports shouldn't happen at all, they're going to continue to subtly manipulate the situation and do whatever it takes to ensure that, regardless of what it looks like, Chris, football is going to happen in 2020. So the only question left is, what is it going to look like here in Western New York, and what does it look like for our Buffalo Bills? Now, Ryan... NFL owners are monitoring this situation closely and maybe not as closely as our own. Governor Cuomo, you can say what you want about the way he's handled the situation. He's garnered a lot of national attention during the pandemic. You can agree or disagree with his tactics, but the thing that I think is interesting, to me at least, is is who he's decided to lean on for advice. Now, Chris, you may remember a few months ago. We were talking about the future of the, uh, the stadium. Yes. And we were talking about all the different avenues that the team might have to try to investigate because the league seems to have softened its stance on forcing the Bills to build a new stadium or relocate. They, all, they just want more revenue. And during that conversation, I brought up the fact that the Pagulas, alongside a group of sports franchise owners that included the owners of the Rangers, the Yankees, you know, the Mets, they all sent lobbyists to Albany to promote a bill that would legalize sports betting in New York state. Something that Ryan, I think you remember, Governor Cuomo was very outspoken that he did not like the idea of sports betting.
4: Yeah, he's been he's been against it for quite some time and as someone who partakes in sports betting both legal and illegal, um it's it's very uh frustrating to see the direction that new york has taken thus far on that and it's largely because of cuomo's feeling that he has to figure out how to monetize it the right way for it to make sense same reason that marijuana hasn't been legalized yet because he hasn't figured out a way to monetize it
2: well and so what shortly thereafter that bill gained traction that bill on gambling actually took some positive steps and now there's a sports book in western new york Mm-hmm. And they're slowly rolling it out over the course of the states. But it's ironic that these sports books, the initial ones, opened up in the districts where these sports owners who sent their lobbyists down, <laughs> down to Albany operate. So with that said, Chris, well, first of all, that in and of itself, does that make, I mean, what is the, what are your thoughts on that? Just that pivot. And the concept that I find it uncoincidental that now, as Cuomo is assembling a task force to help him advise, help advise him on how New York State should attempt to reopen things, how the Buffalo Bills and the New York Yankees and the New York Mets should get back to business, presidents from each of those sports franchises, including Kim Pagula, have been granted seats at the table and have been made part of this decision-making process. What is it? What do you think about that?
4: Uh, Well, I mean, money talks, right? I mean, that's it's the oldest one of one of the best adages that can explain the situation. Money talks, and the Buffalo Bills represent the largest beast when it comes to revenue in not only North America but in the world. I mean, it's next to Amazon, Google, and. Um, Apple. I mean, it, it, that's how big it is. So when you have a franchise, the only franchise that resides in that state, in that league, you get a seat at the table. And it wouldn't matter whether it was Pimp, Kim Pagula or whether it was um, Russ Brandon or whoever is in charge of that team in that given time, you're getting a seat at the table because you represent 132nd of the largest animal that. One was going to have to deal with when it comes to reopening.
2: Now, these owners, including our own Kim Pagula, they've illustrated that they can, they have, I don't know how, I don't know what they have, but they can sway his opinion on matters of policy. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? Sports, sports owners throwing their weight around with a state's governor and seeming like they might have a little bit of leverage.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, just a general statement. About the NFL. I mean, if, if if folks out there are trying to get their moral and ethical compass from the NFL, you're probably <laughs> looking in the wrong spot to begin with. Um, you know, th- this is a business, and this is a business that brings a lot of jobs and a lot of revenue and a lot of entertainment and money and a lot of everything to the state and Governor Cuomo much like any other governor in, in almost every state other than probably California might be the only other state that could withstand the power of the NFL. Um, I don't think Cuomo can, can stand up to the NFL for too long. I think he can do it for a little bit, but ultimately, you know, again, money talks and the, the Pagoulas in and of itself, they have a lot of money. Then you add in the power of the NFL and it becomes a very persuasive argument and there's a reason that the rich stay rich right it's because they have the power and and that's what it's always been so you know I mean good good or bad I mean it's just it, it is what it is and you know as long as they're using their great power with great responsibility you know I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it
2: so with that said Chris our owners are going to have a voice in the room as far as how the state reopens and I think we've made a lot of traction over the course of the last week or two in kind of understanding what it's going to mean for Western New York, as far as that goes. Now, you sent me a pretty detailed breakdown of this, Ryan, which tells me you, you kind of researched this, so I kind of want to lean on you for this, for, to kind of expand on this. The New York State reopened schedule and requirements. Now, my first question is, at some point, true or false, this is going to get turned over to individual counties, instead of being based on statewide mandates. It's by region. Okay. Right.
4: So, so right now you guys fall in what's considered the Western New York region, which is essentially Erie County and South. I, because I live in Orleans County fall in the Finger Lakes region along with uh, Monroe County, which is Rochester and South. Um, So there's, there's seven benchmarks that each region has to hit in order to um, be able to reopen and they reopen phases. So you know the the seven metrics. I mean, it's just you know decline in total hospitalization, decline in deaths, new hospitalizations, meaning that you've got fewer than two two people per hundred thousand over a rolling average, hospital beds. You need to have thirty percent of your hospital beds available at any given time. Same thing with ICU. You have to have diagnostic testing capability, meaning you can do thirty tests per month for every thousand people living in the region, and then you can do what what's called contact tracing. And if you meet those benchmarks, you're allowed to move into the next phase, which is right now phase one. So, just as we stand right now, uh, the Finger Lakes region has met the requirements and will move into phase one starting May 15th. Erie County has not yet hit all of their seven benchmarks. So, they are not cleared to move into phase one as of now, but that could change by the 15th. It's then it's two week cycles. So, you have to maintain. Your are meeting of the seven metrics. Two weeks in phase one, you move into phase two. Rinse, repeat until you move into phase four, which ultimately is kind of where we're looking right now, which is arts, entertainment, recreation, and education. Okay, so- so at any point you fall below or you're not meeting a metric, you go back to phase one.
2: Okay, so phase one, I'm looking at here, construction, manufacturing, retail, uh, wholesale trade, agriculture. These things are, again, pretty bare bones as far as societal impact, uh, economic impact.
1: The real question is, when are hair salons opening? Yeah, and actually, you joke about that, though, Chris, but
4: that is one of the big questions because they haven't specified what is phase two because they just listed as professional services. So a lot of hair salons are saying, well, that's us, right? But they haven't come out and really said where they fall because... I'm sure Drew's going to go over it. They don't fall in phase three. You could make an argument that they don't really fall in phase four either. So where do hair salons fall? And barbershops and, you know, tanning salons and gyms, you know, all that stuff that people are, you know, are looking to get back to. Where do they fall on these?
2: I know. And again, I think it underscores the fact that this is something that the world has never dealt with before. Yeah. So we're essentially just trying to find a way to cope. That's all you're doing you're never going to solve the issue you're never going to solve this until there's a vaccine we're all just trying to find ways to minimize and cope so laying this out with phase one being the construction the manufacturing the retail phase two professional services full retail administrative support again these are more fledgling professions but to your point gyms (laughs) I, i love the fact that i'm interested in the gym aspect of it and chris is interested in the hairstyle aspect of it? And yet we're both tied at the hip to this one stupid thing.
1: Ugh. Yeah, I know. I want my hair dyed blonde. I'll quit. <laughs> you will not quit doing this.
2: I'll, I'll have to wear blinders like a friggin' horse in order to do this show. Oh, my God. Chris, your face is so punchable. And if you dyed, if you frosted your tips, I'd have to fight you at least once. It's something it'd, I swore I would
1: never do. Yeah, it'd be it'd be all the way blonde i am not getting frost it eventually become frosted tips because oh my, my hair God. would grow out but i will get blonde hair <clears throat> this summer and you will enjoy it
2: but so now to ryan's point as we sit here today they're looking at phase four in a perfect world could be what june 26th
4: yeah that's the absolute earliest <clears throat> again phase one starts on the 15th when the pause order is lifted assuming you've met your benchmark. So the absolute earliest that phase four could open back up is June 26th. Based on this this phasing. That's assuming there's no setbacks in the interim.
2: And that's arts, entertainment, recreation, and education. Now, you told us something interesting before we even started recording um, about California and how California has already ruled out education for 2020.
4: Yeah, California came out today and said that there's no in-person college classes until 2021. So they've, they've already made that decision.
2: So, it's going to be interesting to see. Now, New York State sometimes tends to take its cues from California. The two of them, when it comes to policy, have been very close over the years. But so, with this said, Chris, June 26th, in a perfect world, which we know is not perfect.
1: It seems it's like there's... It's going to be perfect June 26th, see that? <laughs> <laughs> Reed's supposed to get married on June 26th. Oh, no,
2: they've already pushed that back. I mean, Chris... There have been, I understand why people are salty about this. A lot of things have been caught up. A lot of people have missed things. Ryan, you said something in our group chat the other day that kind of struck a chord with me, in that your son's birthday, it was just weird because it was the first one where no one could really come and celebrate with you and your family, right? Yeah, my son turned four
4: on, uh, on Sunday, on Mother's Day, and it was, you know, the first birthday where he didn't have a party. We didn't have people over the house. We didn't, you know, go anywhere for the party. It was just, you know, people bought stuff on Amazon and had it shipped to the house and we took video of him opening it, or we FaceTimed the people that got it for him and, and sent it to them when they opened it. And, you know, it just, it just was, it, it hit different, right? Cause I've been working from home since March, you know, since this all started, I've been working from home, but it never really hit like the, this was impacting me until until my son's birthday. And you know, the only thing I can say is I'm thankful that he's 4 and he doesn't really get the birthday thing yet. I mean, he gets it's his birthday and that he gets presents, but other than that, he doesn't care that people didn't come over to the house. Um, you know, but th- th- this is this is impacting people's lives and to think that we're worried about whether we're going to be able to go attend a football game in September, it just it, it you know, it seems so arbitrary to it think does. of, but <clears throat> when you think of the release that you get from football, I think that's why the draft was so big. And I think that's why people are jonesing for something. That's why the last dance on ESPN has been so huge. The Jordan documentary, because people are just jonesing for anything that resembles sports so that they can release from the lives that they have created within the, these four walls of their homes. And it's, you know, it, it, it's like an addict, right? Like I need football. <laughs> I don't understand why I need it as bad as I do, because I've never needed it this way before.
2: You need something. I mean, you want to talk about missing things. I guess I
1: – You miss your birthday, your yeah, birthday, but, and your wife's. Well, and I was going to say my – And a baby shower. Chris,
2: everything for me pales in comparison to what my, my wife has lost in all this. I, I, and again, this isn't to take away from it because, Chris, there's people who are sick and dying. I'm not trying to be you – know, this isn't tongue-in-cheek. This is <laughs> – I guess I look at my wife. You know, my birthday came and went, and she apologized to me for not being able to make a big deal out of it. And I told her, honey, we missed your birthday. We missed your your baby shower got canceled. You're finding out that you're about to give birth to your first child, and you can't have family there? You might not even be able to have visitors to our home to see our child. She has been an absolute trooper through all of this. And I, I guess, so through that lens, you're right. It does seem almost kind of trivial sitting here talking about football when there's so much else in the world that's falling apart, that people are missing, that, that there's an impact to this that's bigger than sports. But sports are a lot of time the release that we get from those things. That's a relief. It's what we turn to. And so I think it's why people gravitate towards that. It's why the schedule release was so big, Chris. It's mm-hmm. why the draft was as big as it was because people are aching for something that feels normal and they're looking forward towards some sense of normalcy. So with that said, we're talking about hitting these metrics and what next season might look like. And I just have a few closing questions as far as the Buffalo Bills season in front of us as season ticket holders. I want to go around the table here. First of all, Ryan, the social gathering policies. In New York State right now, it limits gatherings to 10 or fewer people. If we want to be one of those states, because we've already said the NFL is going to happen. And if we're off of these quarantine procedures quickly enough, it's reasonable to believe that they may allow fans to attend these games. So with the, I'm sure there'll be more provisions put in place. Social gathering policies, 10 or fewer people, what does that do for tailgating? So I think...
4: And, and we'll probably get into it. I think what you're going to see is if, if New York State is going to allow football games to, to move forward, I think they're going to have to put some type of a restriction in terms of how many people can go. I don't think it's going to impact tailgating. I think that, you know, it, it's an open-air situation. You, you can social distance. I mean, it's no different than right now having somebody come over and hang out in the, in the driveway and, and barbecue and, you know, things like that where, where it's all acceptable. I wouldn't be surprised if they came by and and half-assed, you know, uh, (laughs) an an enforcement of, hey, guys, there's 12 of you standing here. We're really only supposed to have 10, you know, and two people wander away until the cops leave and then you come back. I mean, I could see that type of scenario, but I don't think it's going to be any type of an enforceable. We're writing you a ticket for this, because if you're if you're to the point where you're allowing fans to attend a football game, I don't think you're too worried about what they're doing in the parking lot ahead of time. You're well past that
1: social distancing aspect.
2: Well, and now in terms of... I was,
1: was going to say, right now, Ryan, since you are a season ticket holder, if they came out and said, hey, yeah, fans can go to the stadium, are you going to a game? Yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah, and, and the reason I say that is because, you know, I, I, I said it at the start of
4: the show, this is the best Buffalo Bills football team that we've seen since the Super Bowl runs. This is not something that I'm going to miss unless I'm legally obligated to miss it. Um, it, It's just not going to happen. And, you know, and and I talked to my parents who have season tickets with me and they're both, you know, in that high risk demographic, they're both over the age of 65. My father's, you know, obviously older than my mother, but they said they're going to go and they're in that high risk demographic. But my father's statement was I've had season tickets for almost your entire adult life and a lot of your childhood life. I mean, my dad's been a season ticket holder for almost 20 years now. He's like, I'm not missing this season unless somebody tells me I can't go to the, to the stadium. I'm going to be there because I'm not going to miss this team making the run that I think that they're going to, that, that, that they're going to make.
0: Well,
2: and in that vein, it's interesting from a standpoint of the teams are not across the NFL Selling individual game tickets, which almost seems to lay the groundwork for sort of having these partially filled stadiums. It's the easiest way to do it. You don't sell individual game tickets because, A, there's too much paperwork involved if you had to refund that money. Because now you're talking about trying to refund every Tom, Dick, and Harry off the street versus, hey, this person's established an account with us. We have their bank account information already. We also have a direct line of, they have a ticket rep. We have a direct line of communication to that person. So if they've if they established an, so we could take their money and then roll it forward to another season if they're not allowed to attend at all. And it's seamless. It's just paperwork that we do on the back end. Or if we can have games with a smaller crowd, New Era Field seats 83,000 people. The Buffalo Bills have approximately between 44 and 47,000 season ticket holders. At half capacity, yes, that stadium looks empty, but there's you could find spacing requirements in there if that's the the road you chose to go.
4: Yeah, and I think I think that's you know, I hope I'm wrong. I hope everything's back to a state of normalcy. I think that's best case scenario right now looking at it from a realistic standpoint best case scenario is the bills going you know what no second second market tickets so if you have if you're a season ticket holder it's you attending or it's no one attending you can't sell your tickets it's you know we're going to take ids at at the door and if you and if the person that owns the tickets isn't with it with the party you ain't coming in i wouldn't be surprised if they opened up any you know if they forced you into certain gates you know i mean the the where, you know drew you and you you know chris you guys come come in different gates than i do but you sit a section over from me i wouldn't be surprised if they said if your section you know 240 244 where where we sit you're coming in gate five That's, that's where you have to come in because that's the closest to your to your seats and i wouldn't be surprised if they had to if they went down and said Unfortunately, we have to cut anyone who's a brand-new season ticket holder, meaning this is your first season, we're going to push it to next year um, because we have to get ticket sales down. And I could see them doing a seniority down until they finally get to a point where they're at capacity. That's, again, I hope I'm wrong because I really would prefer to have, you know, 80-some-odd thousand screaming fans on Thursday night football against the Kansas City Chiefs. But I think best-case scenario is that they – They they limit it down and say we're going to go half capacity.
2: And I guess that's the Billsy thing, if I can still use that term, (laughs) because I know this iteration killed that term. This iteration of the Buffalo Bills has done a lot to kill the term Billsy. But with that said, it would be the Billsiest thing to have this schedule in front of us, and to know that you can't have a single screaming fan in their seats for it. To me, it would just be a travesty. And so through that vein, I have to hope that everybody out there is doing their part, social distance, do, do what you can to try to help us get over these hurdles. Okay? I get it. It's not comfortable and it's not popular. And trust me, nobody likes having their opinions or their rights infringed on <laughs> less than me. Chris, would you would you say that if I called my, described myself as militant? Most of the time. That's a pretty fair assessment, right?
1: Yeah, you don't respond to authority very well, though.
2: No, I don't. But with that said, we're talking about something not just bigger than sports, but it's the way we get back to sports. If everybody wants this, these things back that are so important to them, then there's a handful of things you have to do. And I say, we do it, Chris, and we hope. We hope that enough has gone right that you and me and Ryan, we can all show up at New Era Field next year, or this this upcoming football season, and cheer on the Buffalo Bills.
1: Yeah, it better not be like what Ryan had said with well, if you have to, you know, ID at the gate. That means I have to walk with you to the stadium, <laughs> which I do not do. He, tries to, I've,
2: he I've, tries to social distance from me, folks, I, all of the time. i been
1: it's, it's wearing a mask in the store. Imagine trying to walk to the gate with Drew. <laughs> yeah, I have. To, I put the, all the tailgate equipment back. I flip up that tailgate, and I make a beeline for the stadium. I don't say, bye, everybody. That oh, he, was a great tailgate. Chris is the king Good of the Irish scene. goodbye. Oh, yeah, I love the Irish goodbye. But with love that said,
2: folks, goodbye. we're closing in on, on the start of something. The next few months are going to be incredibly crucial to what happens here with the Buffalo Bills and what happens to our upcoming season. So even though we have this fantastic schedule laid out in front of us, I have no idea how this is going to play out. We're going to monitor the situation over the coming weeks, as everyone will. Ryan, I really appreciate you joining us tonight because I feel like you a you just have a knowledge base of this stuff enough to have the conversation with us. But also, you, just helping with the conversation and the research, I, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I really
4: appreciate you having me. As soon as you told me what the topic was going to be, I was like, yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about that because, you know, like to your point, I mean, the industry that I work in, you know, I work in the mortgage industry, so it's something that I have my finger on the pulse of of what's going on out there. And it's interesting to apply that to, again, something like sports where it it seems so trivial, but at the same time, it's so extremely important to everyday life to have that release and to know that you're going to have three hours a week where you can scream your head off and no one's going to judge you or, you know, call you a crazy person, you know, that it's a cathartic experience to go watch a football game or to sit on your couch and watch a football game. And it's important that that stuff comes back. And it's, it's even more important for people to, you know, understand that sometimes you have to go through the uncomfortable to get to a sense of normalcy again. And, you know, to echo you, Drew, I mean, you know, if, if people don't want to think of the dread that comes with something that's going on, think about, what Drew's going through with getting ready to have his first child and running the risk of not having family, be able to come see that. I mean, that that doesn't drive home the fact that, you know, if you want to go watch a football game, wear a mask, when you go to Wegmans, like that's, you know, (laughs) you know, again, we're we're not, you know, I I saw the meme when it first started, you're not going to be asked to go off to war, right. You're being asked to sit sit at home, wear a mask when you go grocery shopping and, and bump somebody with your elbow instead of shake their hand when you see them, walking walking in the aisle so you know do what you got to do let's get back to football let's go back to being you know the buffalo bills because this is the best bills team that we've seen in a very very long time and i want to be there to watch them into the playoffs and you know maybe even making a super bowl run
2: it would be a travesty to waste this season with an empty stadium let's all do our part and try and get there ryan tell everybody where they can find your work on social media why don't you talk about what you guys have coming up this season for the huddle tv show
4: yeah, so um, you know, I, I can be found on Twitter at uh, Ryan underscore RSN. Um, definitely give me a follow if, if you get the opportunity to. I'm often the forgotten member of the build media when when training camp rolls around. So I appreciate the follow. Um, well, you know, the, the fact Networks, that you
2: throw a lot of snarky people doesn't help. Yeah, no.
4: I mean, I'm not always the most entertaining <laughs> if I'm targeting you or something that you enjoy. But uh, you know, I, I promise that I'm, I'm well spread enough that you know hang in through the tweets you don't like and you'll eventually come around to something that you do. Um, you know, and then, you know, the rock sports network, we've got a lot of cool stuff going on. Gary that runs rock sports network does some, some awesome stuff. Um, when we get back up and running with, um, everything getting back to normal, you know, Thurman's 34 rush at Batavia downs is, is always a great time to go out. We have a lot of things that go on there for the season. Um, you know, we actually added a podcast for the Rochester Red Wings just recently. So it's their baseball season gets going again. Check that out, Rock Sports Network. But, you know, Gold, Brockport Golden Eagles football, Division Three, one of the best Division Three teams in the country. You know, a lot of people don't know that they're just down the 90 from Buffalo um, in Brockport, and it you know, the top 25 year in and year out. So I do the voice of them as well. You can watch their games on uh, on Facebook for us. And then, you know, obviously the collaborations that we do with with Drew and, and Chris uh, from report from and, and also from, you know, Paul and Mario at, at Hashtag Sports, and we do a lot of stuff you know, with Dan Borrello and, you know, I, I collaborate with a lot of awesome guys, the, the guys over at the Cold Front Report, you know, again, the the honor that I've had in working in, in Buffalo Bills media and, and coverage of working with guys like you has been tremendous. And I, I definitely encourage everyone who uh, follows Chris and, and Drew to follow me on Twitter and then to follow, you know, the other guys that we work with as well, because, you know, a lot of great stuff is going on in the I guess you would call it the seedy underbelly of, of Bill's media. So make sure you give us all a follow and, and check out what we have going on.
2: <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. Ryan, thanks for joining us.
1: Appreciate it. All right, you guys can go follow Ryan Lacell on Twitter at RyanLacell underscore RSN. Great content there with the COVID.
2: <sighs> it's It's wild. It's, it's crazy to see the way the world has changed and the number of things, the ripple effect of what's been affected. Chris, we've all lost things. You,
1: every week I ask you, what's different?
2: <laughs> what's, di- what's different? Weekly update. It doesn't seem like anything really has changed for you.
1: No, nothing. I mean, I, I really can't Uber because there's no bars open. You know, What's the point of Ubering if nobody's going out? So, you know, they just stay at home, watch YouTube. I have a N64 and Super Nintendo emulator on the computer. So I can. I've already beaten GoldenEye. So (sighs) I'm trying to beat that on like double O agent and all the different levels. But. Chris,
2: you're essentially at the age of 36 living on every seventh grader's wet
1: dream. Exactly. (laughs) That's how I do it. It takes a pandemic to do it.
2: (sighs) Ultimately, guys. There's a lot in front of us. This is a serious situation and I'm usually one for making light of everything. This is a thing that I felt. My wife's felt it. It's impacted me. It's impacted my ability to, to do the things that I love, to do things that some, some of the basic things. It's affected my work schedule. It's affected a lot of every aspect of my life has been touched by this. Now, does that mean I'm going to crawl up into a ball and sit in the corner, cry about it? Absolutely not. But I'm going to do the smart things and the things that are necessary in order to get us to the other side, Chris.
1: Yeah, how do you think this makes me feel? I got to go into Wegmans wearing a mask. This is my moneymaker, is my face. And I can't it's have... It's literally all you have. If I we co- cannot have if this we thing covered, covered If up. we
2: put a bag over your head and introduced you to people, they'd hate you within five minutes.
1: Exactly. But I'm like... Slightly above average, good looking. I can't be wearing a mask, you know, when I go to Big Lots or Wegmans or go to laugh at people inside of Tops. <laughs> yeah, Mark.
2: Mark, Top sucks. Find <laughs> Mark, a different yeah, gro-
1: Mark with the
2: Find a different grocery store. With that said, guys, I appreciate you all coming out tonight. I appreciate you all showing up for tonight's show. It's a long one, and if you stuck it out to this point. It means you care about this and that you found it interesting. I, I put a lot of work into this. And it's one of those shows that I did, not because we had to, but because I was genuinely interested in the content. The, the source material was, Chris, this stuff, I, I I find it interesting. But with that said, I, I wish the best for everybody out there who's listening, including our listener Jay Hicksonbaugh, who hopefully by now has woken up from his surgery and you're listening to us in the recovery room. Jay's terminally ill, and he's going under the knife. And he texted me today to let me know that he's left specific instructions for this show to be one of the things that the nurses have to have ready for him when he comes out. It's impressive. Chris, I love the fact that we get together every week and do this. Yep. Yeah, just
1: waiting for the day I can take a 14-day break from you. <laughs>
2: And, guys, I love the fact that you show up here week in and week out and listen to us do it. So with that said, I love each and every one of you. Be safe. Be good to each other. I'm Drew Gear. That's Ryan Lasell. That's Chris Kruger. And this has been the Rock Power Report.